Good morning. Today we celebrate the 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the opening prayer. O God, who in the abandonment of your Son have raised up a fallen world, fill your faithful with holy joy. For on those you have rescued from slavery to sin, you bestowed eternal gladness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah, 66th chapter, 10th to the 14th verse. Thus says the Lord, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad because of her. All you who love her, exalt, exalt with her. All you who were mourning over her. Oh, that you may suck fully of the milk of her comfort, that you may nurse with delight at her abundant breasts. For thus says the Lord, Lo, I will spread prosperity over Jerusalem like a river and the wealth of the nations like an overflowing torrent. As nurslings you shall be carried in her arms and fondled in her lap. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. In Jerusalem you shall find your comfort. And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice and your bodies flourish like the grass. The Lord's power shall be known to his servants. The word of the Lord. Responsorial Psalm is taken from Psalm 66. Let all the earth cry out to God with joy. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing praise to the glory of his name. Proclaim his glorious praise. Say to God, how tremendous are your deeds. Let all the earth cry out to God with joy. Let all the earth worship and sing praise to you. Sing praise to your name. Come and see the works of God, his tremendous deeds among the children of Adam. Let all the earth cry out to God with joy. He has changed the sea into dry land. Through the rivers they passed on foot. Therefore, let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. Let all the earth cry out to God with joy. Hear now all who fear God while I declare what he has done for me. Blessed be God who refuses me not my prayer or his kindness. Let all the earth cry out to God with joy. A reading from the New Testament from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, 6th chapter, 14th to the 18th verse. Brothers and sisters, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither does circumcision mean anything, nor does uncircumcision, but only a new creation. Peace and mercy be to all who follow this rule and to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one make troubles for me, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. The word of the Lord. Hallelujah verse. Let the peace of Christ control your hearts and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Hallelujah.
The gospel for this 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time is taken from St. Luke, 10th chapter, 1st through the 9th verse. At that time, the Lord appointed 72 others whom he sent ahead of him in pairs to every town and place he intended to visit. He said to them, The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Go on your way. Behold, I'm sending like lambs among wolves. Carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals. Greet no one along the way. Into whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. If a peaceable person lives there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in the same house and eat and drink what is offered to you. For the laborer deserves his payment. Do not move from house to house. In whatever town you enter and they welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom is God is at hand for you. The Gospel of the Lord. As we take a journey with 
St. Luke and his memory going through the evolution of what Christ has brought to the world in terms of their understanding of God and their religion and who they are and why they're here and how they should work with these mysterious, wonderful images that keep flowing into our imagination from this new vision of religion that's found in the New Testament. And all of that, it seems to me, there is this exciting journey that we need to realize that this thing that happened in history between the Old and the New Testament happens in every single one of us. We enter into the world in the world of the Old Testament, in a sense. It's a world of clarity, a world of black and white, right and wrong. And what we see so clearly in it is an image that's easy to grasp in a sense. We have a God who created us, created a world for us, brought this beautiful world to us and and put us in it. And what he wants more than anything else is for us to live here in a way that will engage us in a way of life that brings fullness and happiness. That's, that's, That's the relationship that we all start with with God. And God's desire to help us to live the life that we're called to live starts, again, I say with clarity, black and white, right and wrong. He gives us direction by telling us, number one, that we are loved by him. We are his, his treasure. His, he, he's our, we are his favorite, in a sense. And he, we have his favor. And then he says very clearly, I want you to keep this favor of me alive by you doing what I ask you to do. So if you will do the things I ask you to do because you don't know yet what to do, follow my rules and my regulations, I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will nurture you and help you to to live a good life. That is the, the theme of the Old Testament. Look at, look at the way the Old Testament shows, you know, the image of God in the followers of, of Judaism. And, and it was God enters into their life, and he comes into their life by saying, I want to dwell with you. So he dwells in, in a place in Jerusalem, ultimately is where he is destined to dwell. And he comes on a journey with them from slavery to freedom, and he comes in the form of a tabernacle, a box, so covered with gold. And in that, in that box is, is the image of God in a sense of the Old Testament. There's manna from the desert, meaning this God's relationship with you is one where he nurtures you. And he nurtures you particularly with wisdom of who you are and who he is. And so he gives you ten commandments, and those ten commandments are in that ark. And they're the wisdom of God, how to relate to God, how to relate to each other. There's also a rod, the rod of Aaron, which was always a symbol of authority. So you have the authority of the law nurturing you. That's, that's God's presence in Jerusalem, and it's in the temple. And the temple is the place that is so precious and so wonderful. And this city is such a symbol for uh, Jews, even today, it is, it is the place of God's promise being fulfilled. And that shifts from the Old Testament image of the temple 
and the laws that it was demanding people to follow to a New Testament image, which God then knew people were ready for something radically different. And there comes the image of a God who reveals himself not as living in the temple, where only a few could touch, get near him and, and be in contact with him. No, it, it moves from a temple, as we said last week, to a church, and the church is the place where God dwells. And it's a person. He dwells in a human being. Jesus comes to reveal the dwelling place of God is no longer in the temple, and the temple will be destroyed and its system will be destroyed, morphed into something different and more effective and more powerful. And this, this image of God living in human beings has the same promise that God living in the temple did, that if you come to this place and dwell in this place, there will be abundance and, 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 and fullness and you'll be comforted and find life and find peace. That was the promise of Jerusalem. Now it's the promise of the church, in a sense. And church is not the building, but the person. And so when we're listening to Paul as a bridge between the Old and New Testament, what he's saying so clearly is he's describing the time of the shift, and there were people in the Old Testament who saw the value of the New Testament, and they believed in what was happening, but they wanted these new converts to not just go and become something separate from Judaism, but they wanted them to be also bound by the rules and laws. One was circumcision, and they demanded that these new followers of this new image of who God is would be bound to the old ways that they were bound to, and it was denied, it was rejected. You don't need that old system in the new system. What was the old system? Doing what you were told, following rules and regulations and being punished or rewarded, and being told that you were exclusively God's personal favorites. <laughs> and I have to laugh to myself because what 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 Paul is saying is that from you know all that really matters is that we're a new creation, something radically different. But you know, I go back to you know I grew up in the '40s, in the '50s, and that was before the Vatican Council, and and my image of my church was not much different than the way the Jews thought about you know, the temple and about their relationship with God. When I was growing up, I was taught that Catholics were the favorites of God, that if you weren't a Catholic, you did not have a chance for redemption. The Jews could not find salvation, nor could those outside the Catholic Church. And to me, I didn't believe, I wasn't even taught that God dwelt inside of me. I knew I could go to communion and receive him, but it, I, didn't, I didn't realize that that was a celebration of the reality of God living inside of me. I just knew it was something I had to be sure I was clean and fresh and, and go to confession so I didn't have any sin in me because I couldn't allow God, who was so good, to come into a sinful, dirty body, so I had to be cleansed, much like the cleansing rites of the Old Testament. And then again, I, I believe that God was in that tabernacle. And there were rules and regulations to follow, you know. And there was Vatican Council that just sort of blew all that apart. 
And then we enter into what the church really is. It's about God living inside of people and they being in a relationship with each other where this life force flows between them. And the more it flows between them, it, is, it, it, it creates growth, change, evolution, development, understanding, ability to deal with mysteries beyond our imagining. And then comes this mysterious magical transformation that can only be described as the fruitfulness of love where people are freed of demons, evil spirits, negative thoughts, self-loathing, and are nourished, nourished with comfort and peace. So let's look at the New Testament reading because it's, 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 it's a perfect image, what I think it needs to be seen as a perfect image of how different the church is that Jesus came to reveal, which was the evolution of the everything in the Old Testament. Almost you can't have the New Testament without the Old Testament. I don't know how you can begin religion without it being very clear that God is good, sin is bad. When we sin, we offend God. We need to we do we need to do better. I mean. That's the way normally we understand authority outside of us, and we have to go through that stage. But let's look carefully at the way Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs to the places he was going to visit. And they were bearing the name Christian. They were bearing, well, they didn't use the name then, but they were bearing this teaching of a new way of seeing God. And what they, what's so interesting to me about this, is like a marketing tool, but Jesus sends them out to places where when then he goes there, they'll say, I met one of these followers of his, and that was really interesting because when we were with them, I don't know, things got better. I, I felt things were being healed and and the negative spirits were leaving. That's what they were called to do, and they came to do it in pairs, which means that they were representing the way the church now operates. Christ, Spirit, God's Spirit, Holy Spirit, in you, in me, flowing between another you and another person. And then they went with that witnessing of that dynamic between them into people's homes. And they had to go there in a way that would made them dependent upon those that they would spend time with. They didn't have anything with them. They didn't have, not carrying anything. There was no pamphlets. There were no rules. There were no regulations, no sign-up sheet, no schedule that they had to follow. No, they just go as they are two human beings loving and healing one another through the presence of Christ in each of them. And they were like lambs, <laughs> loving lambs in the midst of places where there were wolves devouring each other, people devouring each other. So they went with nothing but their very essence, no money, no, no luggage, no change of shoes. And when they greeted someone, they would say, I want to come and bring you peace. Are you open to peace? Is there anyone here that understands peace? And then said, if a peaceable, if a peaceful person lives here, you can go there. 
But if there is no peace there, if it's all conflict, you're walking into uh, an, an environment where they're devouring each other. And as we the scripture last week was about biting each other and 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 destroying each other. No, don't go there because they're not. It won't work. But stay there in that house, and eat and drink. Isn't that interesting? When do you have the best conversations with people? When do you sit and relax and drop a little bit of your guard and start telling stories and everything? It's when you're drinking and eating. And so they're spending time in the lives of these people, and they're witnessing something that is so beautiful. And when you see two people that love each other and that are comfortable with each other's faults and weaknesses, who are filled with forgiveness and, 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 and love, and I don't know whether they had all of that, but they had part of that because they weren't yet redeemed, they didn't yet receive the Spirit, but they were able to witness what Jesus was all about. And then it's interesting, they say, don't move around a lot, stay. This isn't going to happen in, in one shared day of, of reflection with each other. No, no, stay with them. But then while you're there, watch what's going to happen and know that you are witnessing a way of life that heals people from that which is a disease. And I love the word disease because it means dis-ease, no comfort. Stay there and try to comfort them with ideas and witnessing a way of life that does remove so much of the tension and stress, the hatred and judgment and condemnation and exclusivity, all that creates. And you know, just tell them there's something new coming, a kingdom of God. Jerusalem for the, in, 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 in the Old Testament is, was the place where God was. And that was what you were called to, a place and a way of life that was built into that system of the temple, which was rules and regulations, and the temple was the one place where you'd go to be freed of the judgment and the, the, you had to pay for your sins. That's the old kingdom. But this new kingdom is radically different. And it's at hand. It's coming. It's called the kingdom of God. It's in you. And when it's in you, it flows between the people that it, he is in, and, and he awakens the, the divinity in another person. And when the flow of life begins to happen, then, then there's a radical change. It's called the kingdom of God. How different the Old Testament from the New Testament, but how absolutely integrated they are, how one leads to the other. I don't know how you can have the second without the first. You have to go through that process of knowing what it's like to feel the burden of a law that demands you perform in a certain way that you ne in order to get God's affection. You have to live with the, the burden and the guilt that that creates to know how freeing the new kingdom is, where you're welcoming a God who dwells in you with nothing but forgiveness, understanding, compassion, empathy. And then when the world condemns you and judges you, and, or when any, any force outside of you judges you and condemns you, the Holy Spirit is there, not as the nurturing mother, but as the strong feminine advocate, the Holy Spirit defending your case against those who would judge you and condemn you.
It's a wonderful new kingdom that we have to make sure we're not living in the old kingdom, but in the new kingdom. The closing prayer. Father, your longing, your deepest desire, your passion is for a relationship with us. And we weren't ready for the fullness of it for a very long time, but now we are. So open our imaginations, open our understanding, our capacity to hold mystery and in a way, things that aren't black and white anymore. We're so addicted to that, to, to something simpler. Open our heart to the mystery of who you are and why you're in us and what we can be with you. Give us maturity, growth, evolving into all that you intend us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to remind you that the program you just listened to is available on our website, pastorreflectionsinstitute.com, as well as on our podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to Finding God in Ourselves. It's free to listen to anywhere, anytime. And the music in our program was composed and produced by Ryan Harner for this show. This ministry also needs your support, so make a one-time or recurring tax-deductible donation on our website. Thank you so much for your listenership and your continued support. Without it, this program would not be possible.